Welcome to another edition of the Arrive Early, Leave Late podcast. I'm your host, Bethel Duran. Thanks so much for the reviews, the sharing, the ratings. Do appreciate all of that stuff. And every time I talk to somebody and they're like, what are you up to now, Bethel? I'm like, dude, LA Times podcast, Arrive Early, Leave Late, have fun doing it. And one of the reasons I'm having a lot of fun with it, uh, besides just being able to tell the stories of LA as a kid born and raised in Los Angeles, is getting to hear the backgrounds of the LA Times writers. Like, yeah, I'm also employed by the Times, but I, I don't feel like I'm their colleague. I'm like that guy. I'm like, wait a minute, you're Clash Key. Hey, you're so-and-so. Hey, you're so-and-so. Like, that's cool for me. I still get that I was like, kind of nerdy thing about me where, like, dude, you're like big time. And that's one of the things that when I'm talking to these writers, they all talk about how the LA Times is just the job you don't say no to. The job where if they offer, you go. There's the major leagues, and then there are like the Yankees and the Lakers and Manchester United, the premier teams where you're just like the iconic teams. And part of the beauty of what we're doing is taking you behind the headlines, behind the story, because these writers have so many stories. And today's guest, Helene Elliott, I've admired for a long time. She's been all over the world covering so many stories and a Hall of Famer. Helene Elliott covers the Hockey beat for the LA Times, also a general assignment columnist, but she's so much more. She has so many great stories. One of the best in the biz. I've read her for many years. I don't want to say a long time, just many years. Sure. Remind uh, me that I'm old. No, 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 yeah. no. The first time I saw you in the King's press box, I was like, well, that's Helene Elliott. And I knew because I'd heard these stories about the trailblazer in the sport of hockey. Uh, I heard a trailblazer in journalism in general, Helene Elliott, hockey hall of famer. The first female inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame as a reporter? Correct, yes. Congratulations Thank on you. that. When did that happen? That happened in 2005. And as, since I was the first woman, uh, uh, normally the media honorees get blazers, and they had never had a female winner before. So I had my choice of a man's 54 short or a man's 54 long blazer. <laughs> How did you decide, I want to be a reporter? I was a big sports fan when I was a kid. Uh, I had an older brother and... Uh, used to watch the Yankees a lot and later the Mets. And uh, I just wanted to do everything he did. And uh, I just have a memory, a good memory for statistics. And uh, I used to be able to recite all the 500 home run hitters. I don't think I can do that anymore. Although Mel Ott at 5'11 always sticks in mind. But I just love sports and I loved writing. And I figured, let's put them together. Where did you go to school? I went to Northwestern, but I, I grew up in Brooklyn. I went to Canarsie High School, home of... Uh, well, we knew him as Lloyd Free, but everybody else knew him as World Be Free. Really? Uh, John Sally, Jeff Houston, and the guy who invented Starbucks. So, quite The a guy who invented Starbucks Howard and World Schultz. Be Free? Yeah, yeah. How do you like that for a, a nice array of people? And a Hall of Famer. Well, uh, yeah, I, I rank low on that totem pole <laughs> after Starbucks. Come on. My goodness. Then Northwestern, mm -hmm. then the LA Times. It said that you used to be outside of locker rooms that they wouldn't let you into a locker room when you started your career. Is Correct. that true? Yeah, I started at the Chicago Sun-Times, and I did a lot of college basketball and college football. And I remember covering a game at Notre Dame once where the female reporters were separated. We were told to stand outside the door, and they would bring players out to us to interview, which is, of course, after those players talked to everybody else and after those players showered and all that. But I remember very distinctly uh, one game I was standing outside the Notre Dame locker room, and the security guard kept pushing me further and further away from the door to the point where I was literally locked outside. I was outside the gates of the stadium. 
Um, so <laughs> there's been many adventures, but uh, here I am. I, I've managed to survive. What years were those? Oh, the, the 70s, late 70s. So the women weren't allowed in locker rooms Correct, in the 70s? yeah. Correct, yeah. Then what? how did you make that change? A woman named Melissa Ludke was working for Sports Illustrated and uh, filed a lawsuit, and a judge ruled that equal access has to be provided. And that certainly helped a lot. And just over the years, uh, I think all the professional sports leagues realized, hey, we need coverage. We want coverage. We can't discriminate based on a person's gender. So they've set up situations where it's equal access. And, you know, the first thing that people always say was, well, I want to go in the locker room and see Chrissy Everett. Well, it's the issue is equal access, not getting into a locker room. Nobody has access to the tennis locker rooms. The players are brought out. We all interview them together. And that's fine. That's the issue. People's like to bring up the locker room thing and, oh, you're going to see them in the showers. And that's nonsense. It's not that. It's your colleagues are getting a story before you. They're absolutely, getting the clothes yeah. before you. And yeah. then you have to wait. It's not fair. Yeah, absolutely. And it was it was really difficult. I mean, the, when I first started, there were so few of us uh, female sports writers that we kind of traded information. We say, you know, like such and such a locker room is friendly, but, you know, so-and-so manager, such and such a team, um, he's going to be mean to you. So, you know, be prepared for that. And this player won't talk if you're in the locker room. Even if you're not talking to him, he won't talk to anybody. So your male colleagues are going to get mad at you because of that. Um, so we used to trade information a lot. And there were a lot of players who stuck up for us and, and helped us. Uh, I have to say that, um, you know, to their credit. And, uh, you know, now it's nobody even really gives it a second thought anymore. Yeah. It, and thank you very much for um, every female and everybody <laughs> thanking you for this. And I'm not going to the story. The reason we have you on is not just to talk about that, but also to pay respect to you for what you've done in your career and the doors that you've opened, you've knocked down and opened up for the next generation. But back to that, though, how did you just say, I'm going to stick with it? They're, what they're doing is wrong. Or I'm pretty sure people were telling you, hey, why don't you go be a secretary? Hey, why don't you go do this? Why don't you do everything else? Go cover else? brownie scout meetings, yeah, which are fine things to cover, but yeah. not what I was interested in. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was I, I was always told no. And I think in some people, they'll accept that and say, no, okay, it's too hard. I'm not going to do it. I just, I can't sing or dance or draw or do, uh, you know, mathematical equations. So I knew sports writing was what I wanted to do and pretty much the only thing I thought I could do. And uh I just wanted to stick with it. And, uh, you know, there are a lot of other women who fought and, and our editors, uh, many editors were very supportive and that changed the landscape considerably. And the people that told you no, what made you keep on going? You know, why are they telling me how to live my life? And who are they to put limits on me? And I think that applies to anybody and anything you're trying to do in life. I mean, why should you accept somebody else's vision for you of your life? If you feel compelled to try to do something, do it. At that time, did you think you were making a difference or were you just doing your job? I just tried to do my job. I mean, I was just there to, to report and, um, you know, as, all you really wanted to do was yeah, just do I your mean, job. As you mentioned, it was a considerable disadvantage if the male reporters were allowed in to get their quotes and could meet their deadlines um, easier than we could. Uh, it was a competitive disadvantage and it was just a, an issue of fairness and Again, uh, you know, the professional sports leagues uh, came to their senses and realized, you know what, there should be an equal playing field, and, and it has become one. Before we started, you told me you've covered how many Olympics? 16. 16 Olympics. Yeah. That's awesome. Like, I love the Olympics, the pageantry, everything about it, the countries, like, except for the closing ceremony. I'm all in on the opening <laughs> one. Though. But I think only one with Angel Rodriguez, so, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and Dylan, you and, know. Oh, you had the Dylan version? I'm sorry yeah. about that. Yeah. Winter and Summer Olympics. Correct. What's the one that just stands out? Well, my first one was 1980, so that... Uh, oh, wow. Yeah, okay. that, that's kind of memorable for a few reasons, yeah. 
But, you know, each Olympics has something different about it that you remember, I think, you know, 1980, obviously the U.S. Olympic hockey team, just seeing uh, the Lillehammer Norway in 94 was the prototypical, what you think of when you think of Winter Olympics. Beautiful little village, snowy, great people, friendly people. Um, I remember in our um, rooms, they built temporary housing for the journalists, but our rooms were decorated with drawings from local school children which I always thought was so sweet. You know, you just kind of felt a connection to the people. Uh, so Lillehammer was wonderful. I mean, to be in some place like Athens is is just amazing, the history there. And, uh, you know, sometimes I just kind of sit there and go, you know, for a kid from Brooklyn, I've been lucky enough to see a lot of the world. So 80 was your first one and you've covered every single since then? No, um, every winter game since then, but not every summer games. Okay. So you mentioned 80, your first one. You're still trying to, a couple, few years before that, you're still trying to knock down doors and, hey, let me into the locker room. <laughs> and then the miracle on ice, we've all heard Al Michaels call and there's a movie about it. What was that like in that building that night? Well, it was so funny because you have to remember, and grand uh, kitties, uh, you know, ask your grandmas about this, but, you know, there was no internet then. There was no 24-hour news coverage. There was no cell phones then. And Lake Placid is a very isolated little village in upstate New York. You know, we had no sense, uh, very little sense, really, of, of what was happening outside Lake Placid. I mean, we knew this was a story. The U.S. team was playing so well. Beating the Czechs was an important game, too, because the Czechs were considered to have a, a very good team, and, and they certainly did. But, you know, it was difficult to know how crazy everybody else in the outside world was going over this. The one thing I do remember is that people back then sent telegrams, and the hockey team would paste on the wall all these telegrams that were coming in from people all over the world. Just regular fans? Yeah, just fans saying, you know, good luck, tell it, wishing them good luck or, or whatever. And they pasted them on the wall in the rink and was like, oh my God, wow, I guess something's happening out there. People are picking up on this. And that was a game that was delayed television-wise. And you were there. Did you understand at that time the significance of it? Well, I mean, the significance of beating the Russians, yeah. You know, I never heard about the do you believe in miracle thing until much later because I was there. I wasn't watching it on TV. That's right. <laughs> you know, it's funny because I came home from the Lim Lillehammer Olympics and people were saying to me, did you meet David Letterman's mother? I said, why would I have met David Letterman's mother? Turns out back here, David Letterman was, you know, doing his late night show and he had sent his mother to Lillehammer as a correspondent. So she was on TV in the US, but I didn't see that. So I didn't know what they were talking about. But yeah, I mean, Lake Placid, we knew that beating the Russians was a big thing because, you know, the Russians had crushed the U.S. team a few weeks earlier in an exhibition game at Madison Square Garden. And, you know, nobody expected the U.S. team to do this well. Uh, you know, they had the youth, they had the speed, uh, they were very disciplined because of Herb Brooks, but nobody uh, imagined gold medal possibilities for that team. It seems like hockey has been a big part of your life. Was it something that you loved as a kid also, or you yeah. just fell into it? Yeah, I, I've always loved hockey. I remember watching telecasts of New York Rangers games from Montreal and Boston and Toronto and thinking, wow, these places are so exotic. I wonder if I'll ever go there. Um, <laughs> Look you know, at you in Greece. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I grew up watching baseball, too, and you know, you'd see Dodger Stadium and the, the, the scoreboard and the, uh, and the whole scene, and it was just so like, wow, I wonder if I'll ever be there. And so it's kind of 
it's kind of strange. I still kind of catch myself every time I walk into Dodger Stadium. It's like, wow, this is. You this still is get real. that feeling? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I do too. I, yeah. I, I know a few people say, but I, for me, as yeah. many games as I've covered there, grew up here, mm-hmm. going to the top deck, it doesn't matter. You yep. still get that. That wow. view and the, the green of the grass yeah. and the, the colors and, and just, you know, the, it, just the location, you know, the, the hills beyond it yeah. and everything. Absolutely. It's uh, my husband and I took his father uh, to a game at Dodger Stadium once, uh, maybe about eight or 10 years ago. And he grew up in Brooklyn and he was very bitter that the Dodgers had left. <laughs> So we took him to Dodger Stadium, and he looks around and goes, okay, now I get it. <laughs> now I get why they left. It does that to people. Yeah, absolutely it does. Absolutely. A hardened Brooklyn Dodger fan yeah. finally accepted it. Yep. Uh, Wayne Gretzky comes to Los Angeles. Gets traded here. I'm in junior high, I'm thinking, and I didn't know anything about hockey. Like, just like everybody else in LA. Like, I, we, I knew there was a Kings team here. Mm-hmm. I knew they played at the Forum because I would go watch LA Laser games and they talk about <laughs> the Kings. And But it wasn't like something where you're like, I'm watching this game. Gretzky here, all of a sudden the colors become black and silver. You're like, okay, this is cool. Yeah, absolutely. Well, how did this happen where he just changed an entire Southern California landscape? See, you look at Wayne Gretzky, if you're just walking down the street and he's walking towards you, you're not going to think, wow, that's a superstar athlete. You know, you see LeBron James walking down the yeah. street, you go, that's LeBron. Yeah. You see a football player, you see a golf, or you see a Todd Gurley or something, you, you know that they're athletes, that they're professional athletes. You see Wayne Gretzky walking down the street, you go, is he like a valet car parker or something? Is that that big of a guy? He's not I've never a big been guy. around him, I don't he's, know. He's less than six feet tall. Really? As when he was young, he was very skinny, but put him on skates and put him on ice, and he did things nobody ever could do. And I think part of it was that people could relate. He wasn't seven feet tall. He wasn't 350 pounds. He's a normal sized guy doing these incredible things. And, you know, he was such a great ambassador for hockey here. He knew coming here that promoting the sport was going to be part of his job. And you, he did it wonderfully. Yeah, You have a generation of kids who played it right away. But I think you're seeing it now where absolutely I think Austin Matthews is a kid uh, mm-hmm. who grew up in uh, Arizona. Yep. And yep. then uh, but I remember reading something. He said that Wayne Gretzky in the Southern California area was something you have kids from Long Beach that played in the junior Kings. And all of a sudden they're like playing play in the NHL. Now they played in the NHL, but they're, mm-hmm. they're like, they leave home when they're 14 to go to yep, Manitoba yep. or whatever it is. Absolutely. I mean, I think you're seeing the, the kids of those kids who first started yeah. playing when Gretzky came here. I mean, you look at the rosters of some major college programs, you're going to see kids from California. You look at the uh, junior hockey teams in Canada, they come down here and scout every summer and they sign a lot of kids. Um, and it's not just guys, it's women too. I did a, a column a couple of months ago that the U.S. women's uh, under-20 national team and under-18 national team, the captain of both of those teams was a girl from California, really? which I thought was pretty interesting because it shows the progress of hockey here. And, and now you're seeing more ice rinks open. The Ducks are opening a facility in Irvine that's going to have four ice sheets. Really? So that's going to help figure skaters. You know, um, California has always produced world-class Olympic medal figure skaters too. Yeah, you have them in Artesia, that rink yeah, out there. Yeah, Artesia and, and Lakewood and, yeah. and all these places. And this new place is just going to be spectacular. My first ever credential uh, at ESPN Radio was King's Game. They said, you're going to go just to shadow Dave Joseph, who's the King's PA announcer. We love Dave. And he's like, yeah, come with me. We'll show around. Nick Nixon was like... You can go and cover the visiting locker room. We'll use your audio. They weren't ever going to use the audio, <laughs> but they knew that I was hungry and I wanted to do something. Mm-hmm. So I have, still have that credential written my name on there. And I walk in there. I'm like, wow, this is awesome. 
also the first time I ever saw hockey. Like they, <laughs> they told me, like if you want to be a reporter, mm-hmm. um, here's what we can do. You're going to a hockey game. I went to the library because the internet was still kind of slow, yeah. and I was reading. I'm like, okay, the blue line, this neutrals, <laughs> all this other stuff. It's not that complicated. No, well, that's the thing. Like, yeah, I was yeah. like, if sure, I'm gonna go, if I'm gonna it. interview somebody, mm-hmm. I never. I, I didn't put on skates until a few years ago. Mm-hmm. I, I just didn't. I, I would watch the game. I know that Marty McSorley and that stick bend. I know all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I just didn't know the rules. And I'm like, if I'm going to go interview somebody, I better know what I'm talking about. And I'm like overwhelmed. And they're okay, go. And I interviewed my first ever professional interview, Rick Nash, who was a rookie for the Columbus Blue Jackets mm-hmm. at the time. Mm-hmm. And they bring him out to me. And I know that my hand was shaking. And <laughs> and. The nicest people in the world Absolutely. to the day have always been hockey players. Mm-hmm. Why? I mean, I love them, but it's like every single one of them is nicer than the next. Yeah, absolutely true. The, there's, a, there's a humility. Um, I think some of it comes from, you know, most of them being from Canada. And that's just kind of, you know, you put the team before yourself. And it's so refreshing. I mean, you're not going to see egos. You're not going to see people go crazy and ruin a, a locker room. It just doesn't happen. You've covered, mentioned the 16 Olympics, pretty sure every single Stanley Cup in the last 20, 30 years? Most of them. Okay, not most all of them. Yeah. All right. Uh, uh, how about, I'm just going to play the game with you because I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wimbledon. Once. French Open? No. Okay. So we found something you haven't done. Okay. Um, World Series? Yes. Uh, 90, 91, 92, and 2002. Super Bowl? A uh, few, yes. Okay, what haven't you done? <laughs> French Open, Listening Angel. Um, um, I've covered the U.S. Open. Um, yeah, no, I've, I've been I've been to the NBA Finals as well. I mean, when the, the years when remember when the Lakers used to get to the Finals the, pretty yeah, regularly. That's yeah, that's how I yeah. got a lot of followers. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, did some stuff off of those games, so that was cool. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I've been lucky. I've been uh, to a lot of these, a lot of major events, and. Uh, Rose Bowls and yeah. uh, things like that. So uh, it's it's pretty cool. Your career, you like had to tell 10-year-old Helene Elliott in Brooklyn, hey, this is what you're going to do with your life. Would you believe it? No, never. <laughs> never that I would end up here. Never. No, that 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 just never crossed my mind. Uh, California was too too far away. I never, never envisioned that happening. We're going to get you to that French Open. <laughs> hey, arrive early, leave late is the name of the podcast. Yeah, there you go. Okay. We're going to do, a, you and I, we're going to France. Okay, I'm there. I'm there. Helene Elliott, your social media is where people follow you at? At Helene, not Helen. Oh, Helene, not Helen? They'll call you Helen, right? Uh, A lot of people do. I'm going to call you Hall of Famer, Helene Elliott. So many cool stories from Helene Elliott. Definitely going to have her back on the podcast to tell us some more. Now let's take a quick break and get a word in from our sponsor. Hi, I'm Mark Olson. I'm the host of The Real, an L.A. Times podcast about entertainment and culture. I'm here to tell you about the L.A. Times' Envelope Live, the only resource you need for FYC season. This year, Envelope Live is hosting a special premiere of Bravo's Dirty John, Episode 2 on Tuesday, November 27th at the Montauban Theater. It's a must-see event, including a Q&A with actress Connie Britton, the executive producers, and of course, my fellow L.A. Times reporter, Christopher Gofford. You binge the podcast, you've heard about the show, now you can finally see the chilling true story on the big screen. Visit latimes.com slash envelope live for more information. Now the Clippers are a team close to my heart. When I was 10, I think 11 years old, I got to play on the court at the sports arena. Billy Crystal was in the lower bowl. So you kind of pull for that underdog. The Clippers aren't getting a lot of headlines right now because it's LeBron, 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 Lakers, Lakers, Lakers. 
But look at the standings. One of the better teams in the Western Conference. Andrew Greif is in L.A. for the first time covering the Clippers, the new beat writer for the Los Angeles Times, and he joins us now. Yeah. How are you enjoying the Clipper beat? Uh, it's been really enjoyable, actually. Obviously, it helps when they are 11-5. and five. You know, They've won five in a row. Uh, that makes things in the locker room, obviously, pretty light. But I think it's a, an interesting group to be around because there's not really this true, quote-unquote, superstar. There's a lot of very good players and a very deep bench of good players behind them. But there's not that one kind of transcendent player who everybody kind of falls in line behind. It's a really interesting kind of lesson in almost group dynamics we're watching unfold um, over the last month of the season. So who would be the biggest name? You know, I think if you went by uh, longevity in the league, I think Danilo Gallinari has been doing this for 10 years in the NBA. Of course, he's been hurt for a long time, but he has the biggest contract. And I think he had a pretty good reputation coming in for being a scorer. More recently, I think Tobias Harris, though, could be a guy who would maybe be the guy you would think could be the biggest star because he's scored, you know, I think 15 points in pretty much every game this season. After he got traded to LA from Detroit last year in the Blake Griffin trade, he looked really good and has come back even stronger this year. So I think he's got a potential case to be an all-star. But after that, you know, the biggest name is really a fan favorite. It's Boban Marjanovic. Wait, how do you say his name? Boban Marjanovic. Oh, why would he be the uh, fan he favorite? He is seven foot three and he is a delight. Oh, do tell. He's just, um, I don't think I've ever seen him have a bad day. I mean, this and this is, obviously, we're not around him very often. Um, you know, shoot-arounds and practices and games. But you talk to anyone on the team, and they describe him as just one of the, the most joyous teammates they've ever seen in a locker room. And you go, okay, well, tell me more. And, and they just say that he does not whine. He does not uh, worry about minutes. He just comes in and, like, he can score 12 points in 10 minutes and just be highly effective and... Even Greg Popovich, a guy who, you know, the Spurs coach who is famously surly, I asked him about Boban a couple weeks ago, and he said that Boban is one of the favorite players he's ever been around. And that just goes to show you the kind of the reputation on the league he has. Where did he come from? He came from Serbia originally. And his first year, well, it was only four years ago in the NBA, was with the Spurs. He went to Detroit after that for a season and a half. And the story goes, Popovich had to explain that free agency was coming and Boban had a $3 million offer from the Spurs to retain him or a $21 million offer from the Pistons. And Popovich um, has said that he basically told Boban, you need to take this. You have to go. And Boban, since he's been in L.A., everyone around him just loves him. I think Doc Rivers is still trying to figure out when and how to use him best. But even if he's in there 10 minutes, he's proven to be a guy who can score double-digit points, block a couple shots, and keep opponents away from the rim. So what were you doing in Oregon, covering the Blazers, the Ducks, like Oregon State? What was it? What was your job up there? I was actually covering college football. I was at the Oregonian in Portland, and Oregon Ducks football was the thing I was around a lot. Although in the, in the playoffs last year, I did get to follow around the Trailblazers, and that was kind of a nice introduction to what the NBA is like. And this is obviously now I'm jumping in with both feet, but mostly college football the last five years. So is this your first time covering the NBA full-time? Absolutely, yeah. Okay, so look, Portland is a one NBA team, right? The Blazers, that's it, in that city. Uh, most cities are like that. You come to LA, they have two teams, but like, nobody's going to lie here. The LA Times and everybody else, it's LeBron, 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 some drama with the Lakers, more LeBron, 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 and then the Lakers have... 
with a couple of beat writers. They have columnists. Everybody's the attention there. It seems like you're alone with the Clippers. How's that world? You know, it's it is an interesting dynamic because this is being a major media market, which alone is a transition for me. But to have a franchise that is hungry for the spotlight and knows that it's not going to be the biggest story. It's been interesting to see how they've gone about just kind of just saying, we're just going to let our play determine who takes notice. So that's been interesting for me. And actually, I've enjoyed it a lot because it means there's not a whole lot of national media around the team or even local media. And so I feel like in the last six weeks or so, it's been a lot of time where I've had opportunities to kind of get to know the Clippers. And that's been really valuable. So for me, selfishly, I'm fine with it. I think the team obviously would love to get a lots more coverage, especially the way they're playing right now. But it's been great for a first-time beat writer in the NBA. So when you're covering Oregon Duck football, it's a big deal, right? Everybody's like asking you all kinds of questions and you can't get enough, right? Because there's so much exposure out there, right? Yeah, that's the biggest, probably the most passionate fan base in the state of Oregon is Ducks football. I remember when I was just going by our readership, when I was covering the team, it was much higher than than Blazers or even Oregon State Beavers coverage. So that felt like, I guess, an analogy is the Lakers of Oregon, where just in terms of the media presence, it's probably four times the size of the media who are regularly around the Clippers. So again, it's kind of been an interesting thing to walk into this beat where you have a lot of opportunities to tell really unique stories. I feel like that's been a a great gift so far. All right. So if you're the big man, the big shot covering the Ducks, you're from Oregon. Why go to L.A.? I mean... LA Times is one of those spots that if they ask you if you'd like to join or you have interest, from my point of view, I don't know there's any way you say no. So I thought that covering a major team uh, for the LA Times, I don't know how you could have had me sign quicker to join. I mean, it was just a great opportunity and totally came out of left field and I was extremely excited to get it. So that was a no-brainer. My wife's family is from Southern California. It also, I don't know if you know this, it also rains a lot in Oregon. So uh, I've definitely been enjoying Southern California for that, for the sunshine. There you go. Imagine that. You're leaving because you don't want any more rain. I don't blame you. I don't blame you. It's going to sprinkle soon. I, I'm really concerned about my driving. Uh, Andrew Greif from Oregon, now covering the Clippers. What's it like just going around with one of the better teams in the Western Conference where in the rest of the country, are they paying attention to them? Is it quiet? What's that vibe like? Yeah, you can kind of feel the attention growing. I think that there are signs that outside media are taking notice. I think they were ranked number one in the NBA.com power rankings this week. So you you are starting to see that it's not just a kind of fun, cute story anymore. We're a month into the season, and people understand that this team is really good and really deep. Um, I think the players are enjoying that too because from the day one of training camp in Hawaii, they were saying things like, we know we are very good. And we don't need outside um, affirmation of that. We believe in our team. Now they're starting to see that those feelings were true. And I think they're enjoying kind of getting a kick out of seeing people come around slowly a month and a half later and think, oh, you were right. So you see some of the fun they're having being like, look, we knew this long ago in September. What took you guys so long? Doc Rivers has an interesting reputation. He's no longer running the entire show. Now he's just coaching the Clippers. What's he like? You know, for a writer's perspective, he's wonderful because he speaks with candor and he gives you a lot to work with in terms of quotes and access. So it makes my job easier in a lot of ways because there are a lot of topics sometimes if you're just curious about something, and of course, 
this is my first time on NBA beat. There's a lot of stuff I don't know. And so I'll just run stuff by him. Hey, you know, what about this pick and roll defense or what? Why do you do this during a game? And he'll sit there and talk about it with you. This is, you know, again, I've only been around him for six or seven weeks, but I've really enjoyed that part of the relationship of just being able to throw a lot of questions that maybe a veteran writer would already know, of course, but I get to kind of play the newbie and say, no, why would you make this decision? And he'll go through it with you. I asked him about why he doesn't play a Boban Marjanovic more often after they beat Atlanta. And he gave me a reason. So I've appreciated kind of picking his brain. And obviously, he's been coaching for 20 years, ever since I was about nine years old. So it's been kind of cool to kind of go through his NBA memory. You're going through your own NBA memory, especially the first year traveling on a full-time beat. Because college football, what, you leave on Friday? You're back home Sunday, right? Yep, exactly. And now it's, you don't even know what city you're in sometimes. what Besides the travel, what's the biggest difference between covering big-time college football and now the NBA? Certainly the access. You know, the NBA has mandated rules where on a, a game day, for example, especially on a road game, if they have a shoot-around, you can talk to players at shoot-around and Doc Rivers at shoot-around. And then before the game, Doc Rivers talks, and then the players, the locker room is open. And, of course, after the game, Doc Rivers talks and the locker room is open. So that opportunity some days to speak with people three times a day is really unprecedented in college football where, you know, after a game, in my experience, most of the players aren't even made available to talk. Most of the coaches aren't made available to talk. It's entirely at the whim of the school. And whereas, you know, the league-wide rules make things more uniform, which, again, made a big difference when you are trying to maybe have an inkling of a story and you want to kind of suss it out. That's really been helpful for me to ask, okay, you know, if I, if I couldn't get the guy in the morning, I know I can get to him in the afternoon or even post game. I'm going to try to talk to some players tonight for an upcoming story. And I'm just, I know I wouldn't otherwise probably have that time if it was just available during practice. Uh, I think that this has been one of the big reasons why I wanted to take on an NBA beat actually, is just because covering the Blazers in the playoffs last year, I got a taste of what the, all that access was like. It was really enjoyable. You're from what? North Bend, Oregon? Is that where you're from? North Bend. Go Bulldogs. How big is that city? 10,000. And there's a town right next door to it that's 15,000 called Coos Bay. And together, we are like the big metro area of the Oregon coast, if you can believe it. But a lot of pride in the Bay Area. So now you're going into arenas where there are more people in that arena than there are in your hometown. Yes. I think my entire hometown could fit in the lower bowl of Staples Center. So that's... That's definitely something that's been kind of fun to think about. I know that my parents are kind of having fun following along as I make my trips around the country. So, yeah, it's, uh, again, when they asked me to do this, this goes back to one of your earlier questions, I said, how can I say no? I mean, it's just a great opportunity. Andrew Greif on the road with the Clippers. We're talking to him later on in the season. Seems like the Clippers are legit this year. Time has flown by another edition of the Arrive Early, Leave Late podcast. Enjoy your Thanksgiving. Definitely going to be watching some football for me. Maybe a little turkey trot with the family. That's our tradition. Let us know what you would like to hear on the podcast. I can be reached at Durant Sports. Our sports editor is Angel Rodriguez, AJ Rod. Tweet us. Let us know what you like, what you don't like. Constructive criticism. We appreciate it all. It's your feedback that would help us grow this podcast. Because at the end of the day, it's for L.A., we want to tell the SoCal story. This podcast is engineered by Mike Heflin, produced by Dave Wine. 
I'm your host, Bethel Duran. Arrive early, leave late podcast, an LA Times Studios production.